and welcome to another episode of ABC Gotham, New York's Amateur History Podcast. My name is Kate, and with me, as always, is Kathleen. Hello, everybody. Thanks for waiting. Yeah, and so here is our first of three, technically three episodes for the letter N. We're just doing a three-parter. three episodes. Can you believe it? I know, I know. So this one is going to be one big chunk, and then uh, this is just about the Duquesne spy ring. And then the next two are going to be about something called Operation Pistorius. But all of them involve Nazis in New York, which is our N for this time around. Exactly. And everyone needs to hear about it. So sit back and relax. This is going to be a hell of a ride. Yeah, this is going to be good. You got spring break coming up. This is going to be awesome. It'll get you through the whole spring break. That's right. (laughs) So the Duquesne spy ring, which I did not know how to pronounce until Kathleen was so wonderful enough to tell me how to pronounce it. Kathleen is going to be our specialist on German pronunciations because she actually took a German language class. Well, I think Duquesne is French. Uh, Full disclosure, I did have to Google it. Okay, well, I'm still making you the expert. And still, when I type it, I have to think of Duquesne to make sure I spell it right. So when Kathleen and I were first discussing this, and I kept talking about Duquesne, Duquesne, and finally Kathleen was like, it's Duquesne. We got to figure out the right way to say that. (laughs) Right, right. For you, we are educating you. We wanted to give you the right facts. No matter how much it looks like Duquesne, it is Duquesne. Somebody would, and I would hope so, somebody would come to us and say, hey guys, mm-hmm. that's wrong. Politely. So the Duquesne spy ring is to date the largest espionage case in the United States history that ended in convictions. That ended in convictions, exactly, yeah. And we. this is why, remember way back when we did episode E, and we said... Just trust us. We're skipping World War II. This is why. There's so much stuff. We're like, so that'll much. have to be a whole other episode all by itself. We were planning these three like that long ago. Yeah, we didn't know it'd be three, but we were planning this topic that long ago. Yes. So uh, speaking of number of convictions, there were a total of 33 members of a German espionage network. It was headed by the man the spy ring was named for. Frederick mm-hmm. Fritz Joubert Duquesne, Joubert mm-hmm. Duquesne. Eh, all we have to get right is Duquesne. Right. He has many names. I just gave him four, but the man had ad- dozens of aliases and other names and code I, names. Code names. Yeah. I love he had one fake name that was um, Frederick Fredericks. I'm like, <laughs> you could have tried harder with that one. Those Americans will fall for anything. Yeah. he was, They were all convicted after a lengthy espionage investigation by the FBI. 19 pled guilty, and the remaining 14 were brought to trial. They were all found guilty in the end, even the ones who were like, no, not me. Uh, not guilty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. They were all found guilty September 3rd, 1941, in the Federal District Court in Brooklyn, New York. Hopefully ah. we'll... Yeah, right, right here. between Cadman Plaza and downtown Brooklyn. You could visit it today. You could visit it today. I walk by it almost every day. <laughs> but Kate, how on earth was such a huge number of people brought down? It was all thanks to one guy, William Siebold, who William Siebold, guys, don't forget that name. This guy is amazeballs. Yeah, and he kind of gets the like short, short end of the stick in the end. But he really is like my new hero definitely 
before we go into William Siebold, who I, we're going to play this as very spy versus spy. It's going to be Siebold versus Duquesne. Uh, they're the two biggest players. That are, as I mentioned, there are 33 people indicted in this, uh, but mm-hmm. we're kind of just glossing over because otherwise we could just give you three episodes on just Duquesne. We'd be here all night, guys. We would be here all night, and we've already been here all night. So, <laughs> uh, With the 33 people that were sentenced, we're talking 300 years in prison total. So a lot of prison time. So, the Nazis that were part of the spy ring were placed in key jobs all throughout the U.S. that could get info that could be used in the event of war with the U.S. to carry out sabotage. Now, at the time, the U.S. was not involved in World War II. Uh, Pearl Harbor had not happened yet. So, we were just kind of keeping to ourselves. Mm-hmm. We just finished World War I, a little bit of war fatigue. Yeah, and it was, and World War, you know, wars are good for the economy when they happen, but then you have a lot of problems when you come out of the war. Mm-hmm. So we were still kind of bringing ourselves back from World War One, and we lost a lot of people in World War One. So we were not anxious to get involved in another war that looked like just a continuation of the first one. So um, some examples of some of these uh, Nazis were a person was a person who opened a restaurant specifically just to get information from the patrons who came to his restaurant isn't that funny like how could you assume that your restaurant patrons are going to have anything of any value you set up a restaurant in an area where you know people who have the information you want to hear are going to come to your restaurant Okay, that's pretty smart, actually. It's very smart. Another one, this is all, if this had worked, it would have been devastating. Sure. Uh, Another was an airline worker who flew um, across the Atlantic, and he did it so he could note where there were um, allied ships in the Atlantic Ocean so he could report back where he had seen ships. So you, you do a flight... Note where everything is. As soon as you land, you send off that message. You fly back. It's really smart. It actually is pretty smart. Others, uh, are, you also have people who work on cruise ships who mm-hmm. are sending things via cruise ships um, back and forth across the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have, and then some other, some very basic messengers who get jobs as messengers, but they're also delivering secrets. That's um, it, because their job is delivering stuff. Yes. And they might have an extra delivery or two in there. And that's and how they get all that know. information around. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's the, the base, that's the operation that is set up in the mm-hmm. U.S. So this whole spy ring is named for a man, as I mentioned before, Duquesne. He mm-hmm. is originally from South Africa. He's a Boer, which is um, a descendant of of Dutch-speaking settlers on the Eastern Cape frontier, and the original word means farmer in Dutch or Afrikaans. He's kind of an amazing guy. I don't want to like him, but he's pretty amazing. <laughs> he also is a German soldier during World War I and a spy. He's uh, a big game hunter, which comes into play later, and I'll tell you about that. It's unbelievable. He's a journalist, a spy, well-written. He's kind of the guy... I feel like he's a sociopath like he's the guy that walks in the room and can talk to anyone like he Mm -hmm. he's just he's so good at being a spy 
what I'd read is he was a colorful fraudster who wore a monocle. Yes, and he didn't need so those it. Those two things alone, I kind of want to talk to this guy. Yes, yes. He uh, is involved in the second Boer War, which is also just called the Boer War, um, mm-hmm. as a soldier and spy, as well as, as I said, a secret agent for Germany during both world wars. So many... You can't make this guy not spy. That's the thing. No. Some people are just born to be spies. He's born to be a spy. So many aliases, so many fictional, not only aliases, but he would come up with whole identities around these aliases, like a whole story behind dozens of names. In case, you gotta admit, there's some skill there. He's kind of like Bond, if Bond was a Nazi. Yes, he's exactly like Bond. He's if exactly Bond was a like Nazi. Bond. <laughs> CIA agent is a spy, yeah. I want, to pay, I want you to pay attention to how, like, the crazy stuff that goes on in his life so that you can see how different he is from our hero, William Siebold. I gotta be clear. I know James Bond isn't in the CIA. I know. Thank you. Yes, we Stop know. Stop emailing me. I know. I know. No more Facebook posts. We know. <laughs> <laughs> he's captured and imprisoned so many times, but he's so good at escaping. During wow. the Boer War, which I mentioned before, he mm-hmm. uh, escaped three times just during that war. He got captured, he escaped, captured, escaped. After that war, because of a lot of war crimes that he committed during that war, he was pretty much never went back to South Africa. Like, that was, he could not go back. He makes his way to the United States and actually becomes an American citizen. <laughs> this guy is so... Because it was easy back then. Yeah, everybody's an American citizen. <laughs> uh, he's so good at schmoozing and so good at working his way up the social ladder that by 1913, he's Theodore Roosevelt. He's his personal shooting instructor and accompanies him on a hunting expedition for big game. What? Yeah, this guy's amazing. He must be like this superpower schmoozer, you know? Yeah, he, I don't know. He actually publishes several newspaper articles on the trip and mm. about just about safari and big game hunting in general because he's really good at it. He grew up doing a lot of this stuff. Oh, my Lord. And they know. They know this whole time that he worked for the Germans during World War One, but he's just really good at it. And then every so often he just falls off the map. Like nobody knows what happened to Duquesne. And then all these aliases start popping up and you can kind of follow him on a trail. So during World War I, he picks up spying for the Germans, as I said. He, this is another, he's so crazy. He would plant Mm. bombs disguised as mineral samples on British merchant ships and was responsible for sinking of 22 of these ships. The best part of this story. 22? Yeah, that's not the best part. The best part is that he would take out insurance claims on these mineral samples oh, to get money back. I, I'm i a little bit impressed. Just a tiny bit. I was really impressed and I don't want to be. <laughs> as we've said, a spy is a covert spy. It's necessary for him to be able to manipulate people, assume new, denti- new identities, cover stories. He's, as Kathleen said, he's very handsome, charismatic, intelligent. He speaks fluently several languages. Later, FBI agent Raymond Newkirk observed, so his his nickname in the FBI was the Duke. Um, He says the Duke was a very interesting talker, but he always had to be the center of attention and sometimes took his deceptions further than seems necessary, which is how, (laughs) how he like pops up every so often. Like he totally goes off the map. And then he pops up somewhere because somebody's like, oh, wait, 
Hey, you're Duquesne. Yeah. Hey, where you been, man? And they never saw him again. Right. And so, but he is arrested in 1917, post-World War One, for fraud on insurance claims um, in the U.S., Britain also wants him for, quote-unquote, murder on the high seas, arson. He faked documents saying that he was an admiral. So it's the documents that he forged and tried to pass off that he got in trouble for, as well as conspiring against the crown because he's a spy. Sure, sure. So Great Britain is like, uh, we would like to have him, please. His head, please. That would be great. Right. So he gets arrested in New York. They're waiting to extradite him. He pretends to be paralyzed, Kathleen, and fakes it for two years. What? Yeah, uh-huh. And really fools the doctors. Like, they actually think he's paralyzed. Like, he's not getting extradited because they're trying to treat him. That is a long con, guys. It's a long That's con. commitment. That at the end of the con, he escaped dressed as a woman after he cut the bars off the cell window and climbed over <laughs> the wall. Like, he's Bond. He's pretty, wow. pretty solid. I wish he could use his powers for good instead of evil. I know. So who's the man who's up to bringing this man down? No one, Kate. It can't be done. It's not true. We have our hero, William Siebold, who oh was Lord. a double agent for us and the Nazis for two years. The first double agent in FBI history. Yeah, it's... I don't know. He gives me goosebumps. Like, I can't... Like, you hear all this stuff about Duquesne. He's, like, a world traveler. He's kind of a sociopath. Mm -hmm. And then you just hear this, like, simple guy is the guy that, like, brought him down. Yeah. It's really impressive. And and this Siebold, I mean, he gets a raw deal from from the start. He really does. And he just... he, He takes the deal that they've given him and turns it into gold. It's amazing. He's... Yeah, it's pretty good. He's uh, not actually a U.S. citizen. Well, he becomes a U.S. citizen, as everyone Mm -hmm. does. He's actually born in Mulheim, Germany. I'm sorry if I butchered that. In 1899, uh, he comes to the U.S. and becomes a citizen. So Siebold moved from Germany to the U.S. in 1921. By 1936, he was a naturalized citizen of the United States. So at that point, he'd been here 15 years. And he just makes one little visit back to Germany in 1939 to to visit visit his his mom. mom. Yeah. And while he's there, the Gestapo gets in touch. Hey, Siebold, how's it going? This part, I I see him like on a a train platform, like smoking a cigarette. Oh, I see him walking down the sidewalk and someone sort of corners him. Oh, yeah, that's probably better. Yeah. Well, they were impressed because he had worked in aircraft factories. They didn't know. He he basically was sweeping the floor. He had like really low level jobs in aircraft factories. But they're like, ooh, you are from Germany and you know about American aircraft factories. Let's talk. You don't really say no when the The Gestapo wants to talk to you. So how did they know that they had had this job? He listed it, even though it was not his job anymore. He was basically coming back to Germany for a while. But he Mm -hmm. had listed this as his occupation on his immigration, like his entrance form to Germany. You know, he comes into the country. He fills out this form. The the Gestapo must have been looking for this. I think so. Yeah, engineers or something like that. Yeah. Well, they interrogated him. And by threatening his family, they forced him to become a spy for Germany. 
They also had, were able to blackmail him because he had had some arrests in the past in Germany. Uh, they, you know, all I could find was smuggling and other offenses. I'm imagining during World War One, there's not a lot of food. Like you can get arrested mm-hmm. for anything. You can be smuggling in food. They never, I never found out what it was he was arrested for. And if somebody knows, yeah, it sounded like something kind of low level, right? But he, the problem is, he omitted it from his U.S. citizenship application. He was supposed to write it down. That's how they got him. They knew he had left it off of his citizenship forms. Yep. Right, and he actually spent time in German jail. Oh, I didn't know that, really? Yeah, just a a small amount of time. um, Because he was convicted for whatever, the smuggling, other offenses, and he left that off his citizenship app, and they were like, hey, look, uh, if you don't want to do this, that's totally cool, but um, you're not going back to the U.S. when we tell them Sure would be a shame if the U.S. found out about that. Yeah, and what about your poor mom? Yeah, man, that would be a real shame. Bummer. I just, I'm so creeped out. He gets trained in Hamburg uh, in espionage, such as micro-photographing and preparing coded messages. He's actually given a code so that when he goes back to the U.S., which is where they're going to send him, um, he has a specific code in order to contact the Nazis so they know which spy is you know, sending him this information. And they know he's clear with the Gestapo. They know he's on the inside with them. Right. Um, The man actually who approached him, who blackmailed him, ended up being Major Niklaus Ritter of the Abwehr, um, which was the military intelligence agency for Germany. He's actually the guy in charge of espionage against the Allies. So he's really blackmailed by somebody really high up. And this is the interesting thing about the Abwehr. The word itself means defense. And this was basically the German CIA. It was their international defense uh, and intelligence agency. And it existed even though Germans were specifically forbidden from establishing an intelligence organization in the Treaty of Versailles after World War I. So the Treaty of Versailles was rough on Germany. It's a big part of the reason that World War II happened. Right. They were humiliated after World War I. But... You guys don't get to have an intelligence organization. Oh, okay. And then the Abwehr happens anyway. He's given a name, Harry Sawyer, and he's told, go back to New York. You're going to New York City. Guys, I know we've been in Germany for a while now. I promise we're coming back to New York. Yeah, you can count on us, You can count on that. So they want anything that he can give them on the, basically on the U.S. or the U.K., any of the allies. Mm -hmm. Um, they want, especially the UK, they want that information. That's a pretty wide net they're casting. It is. It is. They really want to know about military planes and equipment since apparently he has that knowledge. More than they do, at least. I mean, you know. Right. Right. He was in the factories. They finish his training and they're sending him back to the U.S., on his way back to the U.S., his passport gets stolen, Kathleen, or lost along the oh, way. Oh, no. What do we do? But he can't get back into the U.S. without an American passport. So no, sir. he pops off at the American consulate. Oh, I got to just stop popping into the consulate, guys. Just give me a minute. Yeah, sorry. sorry. God, passport's Whoa. so awkward. Mm. Goes directly to the consul general in Cologne. 
and says, hey, look, I've been blackmailed into being a German spy. Um, I'm, a, I'm a U.S. citizen. I'm loyal. I love the U.S. I want to help. What can we do? That was his brilliant move. Yeah, so smart. That's where I'm like, this is the guy to bring mm-hmm. Duquesne Before down. Before he even left Germany. Right. He talked to the people, the U.S. government, and that is how this all worked out. It would have fallen apart if he hadn't done that. There would not have been an option once he left Germany. No. He nailed it. He did the exact right thing. Exactly. And the time it takes him to get from Cologne to New York, they, they're able to set everything up. If he had waited till he got to New York, this thing would never have happened. And it's really, really scary to me that I'm sure he's being escorted by the Gestapo. And he's able to come up with this plan to get to the consulate and say, help. Or yeah, what, yeah. what can it, we it do? Was, it was perfect. It was, it was exactly what he should have done in that position. And yeah, because of that, they were expecting him. He'd let them know when he was going to arrive, that these people would be with him, who they were. He returned to the U.S. in 1940. And like Kate says, they were ready. Right. He had all the, all the stuff he needed. We were ready to get him set up. Yeah, the FBI's totally got him set up. They mm. set him at they set him up as a consulting engineer with an office mm-hmm. on 42nd Street, which Kathleen found a picture of the building. That's right. So his office was in the Knickerbocker building. It used to be the Knickerbocker Hotel, but then it became office buildings. This is the southeast corner of Broadway and 42nd Street. If you go there now, um in between his time and now it was the Newsweek building. And if you go there now, it's the Gap. Oh, you know so, oh my God, I've been to his Street. office. Yeah. <laughs> There's also a Hilton in that building, a bunch yes. of restaurants. But yeah, go to Broadway and 42nd, southeast corner. That is where William Siebold helped bring down the Duquesne spy ring. Yeah, so the FBI rents three rooms next to each other. Mm-hmm. Siebold's office is set up with a one-way mirror. There are also hidden microphones throughout. Behind it's that, so clever. So good. Behind that one-way mirror, the FBI films everything that goes on and tapes everything. FBI f- agents fluent in German are translating around the clock whatever comes through. They even have a big calendar on the wall so that whenever he had a visitor and was talking to him and recording him and translating him, you could see the huge number of what date it was yes. because they knew they're going to need these images. They had these images and these video curtains. They knew there was going to be a trial somewhere down the line and they were going to need it. They're building a case. They can't, mm-hmm. they, they don't want to jump the gun. They have to get enough evidence to make, and it's during, you know, there's a war going on. They need, exactly. not that we're involved in it, but if there's info that we can get to, um, to save people's lives, to stop sabotage, you know, that's what we're going to do. You got to get it, definitely. Right. So um, he convinces the Nazi Germany to send money, enough money, to set up um, a telegraph cottage in Centerport, Long Island. So um, smart. And the FBI, um, of course, have his code. And they're sending false information to the Nazis. The FBI sends 300 falsified or useless information to Germany using Siebold's code. Um, at the same time, they're get, they received 200 messages from Germany that helped, along with Siebold, 
uh, identified dozens of agents in the United States, Mexico, and South America. So smart. Oh, my God. So smart. He meets with everybody in the spy network. Mm -hmm. I feel like his office is like home base almost. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, they, they, they indicate a couple of other offices. Duquesne had his own office at 120 Wall Street. But, yeah, I feel like, I mean, for the same reason it would be today, the one at 42nd Street and Broadway is probably kind of the hub. It is. It's in the middle of everything. Uh, it's easy to get to. Uh, you know, everybody comes by. Uh, one, one member of the ring, um, Paul Bonte, discusses plans to bomb different locations, actually delivered dynamite and detonation caps. Oh, my Lord. To our hero. So uh, the first time Duquesne meets Siebold, he's super paranoid. I mean, he's a a good spy like he's seasoned sure. so he basically honestly his gut feeling was correct was he should have been paranoid totally around. correct he <laughs> passes Siebold a note telling him to meet him at a nearby automat uh Kathleen what's an automat uh it's a, like a horn and hard hats it's a place you could go and basically you, you paid with a nickel and you open a little door in the wall and there's your sandwich or your soup or your coffee or whatever yeah very popular the first like fast food that Americans get before McDonald's exists. He meets him after the automat. I think he gets more comfortable. Yes, in the basement of Macy's. He uh, gets more comfortable with Siebold. And eventually, the first time Duquesne does meet him in his office, though, Duquesne runs around the room like a madman, looking for wires <laughs> and listening devices. He, like, threatens Siebold. He's like, where's... I know they're here. Where, Where's the bugs? And... Seabold keeps his cool. He's just like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. He's a he's so he's good at this. Like for a man who is not born to do this, he's really mm. good at it. He was actually an ideal covert agent. Uh there was a comment. The FBI head of operations in New York was worried that Seabold had an honesty complex. Right. That might actually botch things up for them. But yeah, like Kate is saying, he was unflinching. He was really really good at his job well and he looks good because the germans the nazis pick him specifically and threaten mm -hmm. him so everybody i'm sure everybody when it's in the spy ring knows i'm and i'm sure some of them have the same where they mm -hmm. he's got family back home that are being threatened and mm -hmm. you know they're like well we can trust this guy because we've got so much over on him Duquesne's office was at 120 Wall Street, and I looked it up. This is actually really, really far east. He's almost right on the FDR. The building still stands today, and it contains the Center for Reproductive Rights, oh, wow. uh, Girls Incorporated, and the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Oh, wow. I know, right? <laughs> um, and just a couple of the, the spy ring, a couple other members... Uh, that are interesting. One of his Herman Lang. He was a German immigrant and a longtime Nazi supporter. He was employed at the Norden factory at 80 Lafayette Street. And he had been secretly copying blueprints under his own initiative. Everett Roeder was another member of the ring. He held a very high level position at Sperry Gyroscope Company. That's at 40 Flatbush Avenue Extension. You can also go there today. Ooh, that's not far uh, from my place. Right? And very close to the federal courthouse, where everyone was brought down. Man. Right? But 40 Flatbush Avenue Extension, 
is very, very close to the Brooklyn entrance to the Manhattan Bridge. And that building today has Catholic Charities, the Brooklyn Veterans Center, and the Small Business Development Center. And uh, Roder, this this, uh, particular person, he also cooked up various inventions at his home in Merrick, Long Island. Well, somebody else who passes through Siebold's office, they also have, which I imagine like Jessica Rabbit, Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> I was hoping you would talk about her. <laughs> uh, we have the femme fatale Lily Stein, who tried to seduce Lily him. Stein. Yeah, uh, this is another time where Seabold is just unflinching. She mm-hmm. um, is actually um, a Jewish immigrant, and she had escaped Vienna uh, with the help of a diplomat. But then I'm not sure how she gets mixed in with all of this German spy ring business. Mm. Uh, But she, apparently one FBI agent described her as a good-looking nymphomaniac. Yeah. Her job is to prowl nightclubs. She's supposed to look for guys who will, like, after everything, talk about uh, war developments or deal. I think she'll just sell info to anybody. She was like James Bond. She would seduce people and get their secrets out of them. She was an actual sex spy. It's a real thing. She was. She was so good that at one point, she relayed information that British factories were producing a thousand planes a month, which would have been like invaluable intel for Germans at the time. Mm-hmm. Just like mm-hmm. she knew she slept with everybody and she knew everything that was going on. And if she had figured out that he was a double agent, she could have sold that information for an incredible amount of money. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or power or whatever. She actually made several advances to Siebel during one of their late it night her meetings. Yeah. It's her job. Uh, he has a lovely wife and he turned her down. He said, I Yay. love my wife. This is not going to happen. But thanks, but no thanks. Another time where things are really hairy and he gets through it. Like, he's mm-hmm. he's a really great agent uh, for a man who's not born into it, as I said before. Exactly, exactly. So, finally, in June of 1941, the FBI has enough information, thanks to Siebold and his cooperation. They arrest the 33 German Nazi agents we spoke of at the beginning of the podcast. They're all tried. They all go to prison. Duquesne alone gets 18 years. Now, why would they not give him life in prison? Well, he's already an older man at this point. I think he's like 64 when all this goes down. Yeah. And, I mean, 64, 74. I mean, he would have been well into his 80s. However, by 1945, Duquesne is transferred from Leavenworth Federal Penitentiary Prison in Kansas to the Medical Center for Federal Prisoners in Springfield, Missouri, due to failing physical and mental health. It's, I don't know, he he just kind of, I think he kind of gives up. He's like, this is, this is Unless he's faking it and he escapes, Kate. He's done it before. No, he doesn't. Uh, Actually, in 1954, he's released early after 14 years served due to ill health and dies two years later to bring it back to New York at the city hospital on Welfare Island, which is now Roosevelt Island. Interesting. Wow. What a what a ignoble end. Yeah. And now if you think that our hero of the story, William Siebold, is going to have a happy ending, you should probably think again. Well, before you get to that, I did want to mention one really interesting thing I read. Sure. During the trial, 
uh, to protect him from reprisal. And you can imagine, he's got quite a few people mad at him at this point. Everyone hates him. Scary, powerful German people are really not fond of him. So to protect him from reprisal, photographers who were present at the trial were forbidden to take Siebold's picture, and they happily complied. Yeah, as they should. He did a great duty to his country, and yeah, it's, he did a great thing. It's a it's a lot, and there are people out there who want him. Definitely. And now here's the really interesting thing. Hear me out. Uh, I read from a couple of sources that no photographs, clear or otherwise, exist of his facial features. None of them are known to publicly exist. I'm looking now. at one right now. That's the thing. I, I really wanted to confirm that. I really wanted it to be true. If you Google it, there are many photos. But here's the thing. A lot of the photos are Duquesne or other spies he convicted. There is also uh, an unrelated person, uh, W.G. Siebold, out there. I think he's a photographer. There's a lot of pictures of him. But, yeah, there is a photo of him with his wife. Right. Now, that photo, obviously, was taken long after the trial ended. He's an old man. Uh there's also another photo of him out there, which was the photo on his naturalization document. He's a very, very young man. But I looked. There are not photos of him from around the time of the trial. So it could be that there were only early and late photos of him. Or it could be that this is just apocryphal. I would like it to be true, but um, I'll, I'll let you all know I cannot confirm this fact. Right. There are definitely pictures of them out here. But during the time when... You would think photos would be flooding of him everywhere. There aren't any. And the reason is yes. C William Siebold actually vanishes into a government witness protection agency. And it took It was some... kind of like early witness protection. They didn't even have that system set up. No. But he definitely needed protection and he certainly deserved it. I think they kinda of came up with a lot of this for him. Um mm -hmm. it took some digging because there's a lot that say he we hope he lived a happy life and he went into witness protection, but sadly it, it really doesn't go very well. If you dig around a little more, you can see that, um, well, he and his wife moved to California. Um, he does have a hard time finding a job and making ends meet. He tries his hand at being a chicken farmer, I read. But he's really paranoid the whole time. And honestly, so I paranoid. Blame him. So paranoid. And he also has some health problems, which I'm sure are brought on by anxiety. Now, the paranoia is not unfounded since members of his family that were still in Germany wrote to say that Nazis still had him in their sights. Like, they were still looking for mm. him years and years later. Yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised. So very sadly, in 1965, he's um, committed to Napa State Hospital in California, impoverished and delusional, and dies five years later of a heart attack. I want it to be like the ending of Shawshank where he's like on a beach, yeah, not a care in the world, beyond the reaches of anyone who wants him. I really want that to be the ending we can tell you about, guys, but we're not going to lie to you. Or you could just have muted that section and watch the last five minutes of Shawshank Redemption and pretended that was <laughs> the end of our hero story. No, but, you know, he got Maybe the bad guy. Maybe we can guy. make a movie based on it and have a happy ending. Yeah, he got the bad guy. He, we actually stopped the Germans from being able to sabotage us from, mm -hmm, we basically, mm -hmm. the Germans later said that we completely devastated their spy network. They had. Oh, we obliterated the German spy network in the U.S. They had Absolutely. no spies They had left. to start from scratch. Right. 
And this will lead into our next podcast, uh, which you will be listening to very, very shortly, called Operation Pistorius, where you'll see the after effects of not having a spy network and how badly that goes. Right. Their their attempts to rebuild the spy network. Because this isn't the end of it for Germany. Germany's not just going to roll over and give up when it comes to the Nazis, World War II, and all the information that they can get out of the U.S. That's that's not it for them. They come back big time. And you will hear all about that in the next episode of ABC Gotham. Yes. So we hope it was worth the wait and enjoy. Mm -hmm. And we will just be continually putting out the rest of episode N in three parts. So stay tuned. Yes. Yes. Enjoy. Thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah. See you next time. Bye. Talk to you next time, guys. Bye. Standing here as Broadway opens up her arms When the crimson skyline bruises black And lights up like a favorite song For more ABC Gotham, go to our website, www.abcgotham.podbean.com Special thanks to Podcasting's Brock. Music for ABC Gotham is by Big Rude Jake. ABC Gotham is a K2 production, copyright 2014, all rights reserved.